up, everybody? This is Joel Sedecase, and you are listening to This is Apologetics with Joel Sedecase. And I'm very happy to be with you for another one of these episodes where we talk about what the Bible teaches, how to understand it, how to share it with others, share the good news with others, and then defend it when we encounter questions and objections and all those whatabouts that our friends and relatives and neighbors and coworkers inevitably have. And we want to do so with grace and love. We want to speak the truth in love. And it's my hope that our time together will help to equip you to be able to speak the truth in love, but to speak truth, to know what the truth is, to know what God's word is and what God's word says, and then to be able to communicate that to others in such a way that says, listen, I love you. I want the best for you. And because I want the best for you, this is why I want to tell you about the hope that I have in Jesus and uh, all the other various aspects of the biblical worldview that we hold so dear as followers of Jesus. And, you know, sometimes that's easy to do during the year and other times, not so much. Some seasons it's like, yeah, I can, I can talk about You know, there's like this cultural understanding that, uh, you know, you're going to go to church, you're going to celebrate. Even even those who would never really darken the doors of a church would still very much understand why you would, you know, go to church on Christmas, you know, and and why why you would go to church on Easter. Um, There's even some cultural vestiges of, you know, kind of remembering what like a baptism service would be like. And so... Um, you know, that's a really popular time to invite people to church. So there's these, there's certain, and those oftentimes happen like around Easter or during the summer. So there's these, these certain times of the year when it's very easy culturally to be a Christian, to talk about your faith, talk about your Christian practice, the things that you're doing to, you know, to publicly um, celebrate the good news that we have in Jesus, or the, the good news that we believe in Jesus and, and about Jesus. Then there are those other times of the year those other seasons where it seems like it's extra difficult, where it, it almost seems like the safest and best thing that a Christian could do, a follower of Christ, would really just be to just kind of lock it up and not really say anything for a while and kind of wait for that season to pass and just sort of let other people have their moment. You know, we've got our moment at Christmas, we've got another moment at Easter, but, you know, maybe there's some moments where we just need to sort of just be quiet and, and let others celebrate. Um, you know, one of those moments where it seems like there's a strong temptation for Christians, Bible-believing Christians, to kind of lock it up and kind of, I'm not going to say muzzle ourselves, but maybe just tone down some of our language, um, some of our messaging, would be the month of June. Now, why is it the month of June? Well, if you live in a major metropolitan area, I'm like myself, I live in Chicago, then you know, you, it's unavoidable, but you know that the month of June is typically celebrated, at least in the last few years and and few decades as pride month. And, you know, I remember when I was much younger, uh, they would have the gay pride parade. They they still have that, but now it's sort of expanded out and, um, and, you know, other different lifestyles and preferences and um, other, other such, uh, um, what's the word affinities have been sort of worked into that. So now it's, it's, um, it's sort of, it was, you know, it's LGBTQ plus, Q, you know, QI, et cetera. And now it's, the parade is just called Pride. And um, and it's actually expanded out from just being a single day 
being a week, and now it's actually the whole month of June. And so uh, here in Chicago, it's become, you know, a huge thing. It's like I said, it's unavoidable. I mean, I'm driving my kids down to the hospital to uh, to visit my son, and you know, right there where the Chicago flag is normally flying, there's a great big rainbow flag, you know, flying uh, right by the Ohio exit coming off of 94. And it's completely unavoidable. You can't miss it. It's right where the Chicago flag used to be. It's it's replaced the Chicago flag. It's almost like a way of saying, you know what, Chicago, right now, what it means to be Chicago, what it means to be Chicago in is we're all pulling for LGBT. We're all pulling for, you know, the um, the rights of this community. And so it is unavoidable. Um, I've had to have a few conversations with my kids. Um, but even if I didn't want to have those conversations, I still couldn't really avoid the issue if I, even if I wanted to. And um, let, me, let me tell you why that is. So if you know a little bit about my story, I've shared this before with, um, with This is Apologetics. I've talked about how my son Lucas is in the hospital. And he's been in the hospital for about four months, um, going on five months. And uh, in, in the hospital, they're taking very good care of him. But recently, this past week, um, actually about a little over a week ago, a flyer went around to all the rooms in the hospital, a uh, big bright rainbow colored flyer. And uh, had, sure enough, it had a packet of information with it. And it was telling parents and families about what the hospital was going to be doing for Pride Week. and. So they had all sorts of activities um, in in the the family center down on floor 12. Some of the normal activities of the week were replaced with um, LGBTQ friendly events. Like they were sort of taken over by, um, you know, that worldview and that movement. Um, So like there's like a song time early in the week and, and it was... Now it was, you know, pride songs and, uh, you know, one of the, they had a new activity. They were going to do pride trivia. So I don't, I didn't, I didn't take my son to that. I don't know what sort of things they were you know, quizzing people on maybe the Stonewall riots or, you know, um, some of the history of the, the movement, um, Harvey milk, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't, like I said, I didn't go, but um, and then in addition to that, they also had a drag queen story hour where a man would presumably, again, I didn't take my son to it, but a man uh, dressed up as a woman with very garish makeup uh, was going to come and read stories to ch- to children and their families. Again, we didn't go. I don't know how well attended it was or if anybody went, but nevertheless, this was part of the um the activities for the week. And so it really was unavoidable. It really, um, we actually had to sort of change our schedule for the week. Uh, Normally we like to go down to floor 12 and, and do a lot of the really fun activities that they have down there in the family center. But um, you know, we didn't, we didn't want our son exposed to some of the certain messaging and, and things like that. And you know, what made it difficult for us is other than the fact that it was totally unavoidable is that a lot of the folks who care for my son in the hospital are very much a part of that world, very much a part of that movement. And so, you know, Alisa and I were going back and forth and, and 
talking with our, you know, with one another, how do we deal with this? Because we don't want anyone to think that we hate them and, or that we, uh, you know, that our, that our biblical fidelity is anything other than biblical fidelity, you know, uh, holding firm to God's word and, and what we believe the Bible teaches and, and, you know, what we believe, we believe that God's plan is best. Um, so how do we, how do we talk about this without anybody unnecessarily thinking that we somehow, you know, hate them? I mean, that word hate is thrown around so flippantly nowadays. Um, as it happens, we were able to just kind of uh, avoid a lot of the activities that had the really strong messaging. And uh, we ended up having, having a, a pretty good week. Um, didn't participate in, in any of the pride events. But nevertheless, this movement really took over the hospital for about a week. At least that's the way it seemed. Um, and, and in the information packet that they handed out, it was uh, there was information on there about you know how your family can be more LGBTQ friendly, and um, and some of the advice in there was good. You know, I mean, just sort of just kind of basic common sense stuff about don't make presumptions about people and assumptions. I mean, that's always good. Um, but you know, some of the other stuff was as you can imagine, uh, very worldly advice, very much a part of that, that whole movement. So um, we saw that at the hospital, you know, we see the flags around Chicago and, you know, if you're not living in a major metropolitan area, I, I don't know what it's like. If you live in a small town, maybe like a rural environment, maybe it's not quite as prominent by you, but Chicago is a very progressively leftist city. And, and um, it's sort of the air we breathe around here is, is that, that end of the spectrum, politically speaking. Socially speaking, um, and and you know, there's a lot of debate lately. Um, I don't really. I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert on all things LGBTQ, but you know, I, I try to stay up on the social trends. And uh, one of the things that I'm aware of is that there's a major debate going on right now between members of that movement, um, and the question is, um, is is Pride and Pride Month and the Pride Parade and everything else, is it too mainstream now? Is it too corporate? Uh, whereas it started out as a, a real, you know, kind of, they, a lot of their pride was in the rebellious aspect of it. Um, and this, you know, you see this walking down Michigan Avenue this time of year where all the stores, all the stores, they're like jumping over each other to display rainbow flags and, um, you know, hashtag love is love in the windows. And, and it, it's, it's very clear that it has become very corporately safe to be behind the, the uh, same-sex attraction, lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual movement. So it's very corporately safe. And that safety is very hotly debated. And some of that debate really came to a head recently with a music video that came out. And this is what I want to talk about tonight. And I, I just, I want to say, this is not an easy thing for me to talk about necessarily um, because tonight we're not really dealing with abstractions, you know, or um, philosophical arguments. I mean, we're really kind of getting down to brass tacks and talking about a social issue that is very prominent. It's very in your face. And I know that even by bringing this up, I'm risking people hearing me, or, or I should say not hearing me, but just sort of looking at the surface and just writing me off as some kind of a hater, some kind of a bigot, some kind of a homophobe. And um, 
and and not and just sort of writing off writing me off and writing off what I'm about to say carte blanche right from the beginning and that's a real shame because I what I want to talk about tonight is you know I really want to get into this music video that came out and I want to I, I'd like to analyze it and I'd like us to be able to think clearly about it and critically and I'd like us to be able to ask a few questions that are going to help us as followers of Christ to think about how do we engage our neighbors this time of year or or just when there's such strong messaging in a particular direction and we we know we need to engage in some way because we're being engaged with, but we're not exactly sure how. So again, like I said, the, the debate centered around this video and the video, if you don't know, it's by Taylor Swift or it's a song as well. Uh, you hear it everywhere right now. And the song is called, you need to calm down. And it's her latest single. And look, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan as may come as no surprise to you just in general. Although I will say Shake It Off got a lot of airplay in our house when we were doing family dance parties with the kids about three or four years ago. And, but beyond that, I'm not a, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but you know, this, this song, just as Pride Month has been very unavoidable, this song has been very in your face, very, very unavoidable. And so, um, and the, the reason why it's something that I think we need to address as Christians is because of the lyrics, but it's not just the lyrics, it's the visualizations in the video. Now, if this was just like a sort of a pro LGBT uh, video, you know, I probably wouldn't really address it because, you know, you expect that sort of stuff from the world. You know, we, we know the world is very pro, uh, you know, a, a certain, the, the, the left end of the spectrum is very prominent in pop culture. Right. And so that has to, I mean, socialism and, and, uh, cultural Marxism and, um, uh, sexual practices and affinities that are, um, you know, unbiblical just to throw that out there. I'm just to kind of lay my cards on the table, but the issue, the reason why I wanted to address this Taylor Swift song, you need to calm down is because she specifically addresses Christians in the video. Now that's might not, that might not be obvious. And actually, as I was reading up on some of the analysis, you know, I was looking at some of the comments and, and different videos that people have posted. And a lot of people are shocked. Like, like, wait, what do you mean? This isn't, this isn't addressing Christians. This is just addressing, you know, homophobes or, you know, bigots or, um, you know, uh, that, that kind of like, like the same kind of people, like who would have been racist 50 years ago. Now, you know, this is like their new, the new thing that they hate. I mean, these are unthinking bigots, right? Like that's not, addressing all Christians or anything like that. So why make a big deal about it? Well, the reason why is because one in the video, Taylor Swift has this sort of caricatured uh, group of like troglodyte people with their you know, terrible haircuts and, and nappy beards and they're dressed in like scummy clothes and they're holding signs. Right, and they're they're protesters. They're protesting at a gay wedding, a same-sex wedding, where two men are are kissing in the video. Um, and one of the signs that they're holding up in this video is it says, "Adam and Eve, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve." And you know that's sort of this old trope 
of uh, of believers, you know, that, you know, we used to say stuff like that, you know, a generation ago. And, and it was kind of like this uh, very trendy aphorism to say, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not God, not Adam and Steve. And so by including this in her video, what is Taylor Swift doing? Basically what she's saying is, um, look at how ugly, because the people on that side, the, the protesters are very ugly physically. Uh, look, their messaging is as ugly as their style and as their faces and as their hair. And the idea is this kind of messaging is very ugly and therefore it's wrong. And what is that messaging? The, the messaging is an appeal to Genesis. It's an appeal to God's design of Adam and Eve as the first married couple. I mean, literally God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's an appeal to Genesis. And so what Taylor Swift is doing here is she's not just sort of presenting one side and saying, look at how fun the um, LGBTQ side of things is, but she's specifically saying, and look how stupid and ugly and bad and morally wrong the Christian side is because they're making biblical arguments. These are who makes biblical arguments. I mean, they're Christians. They're, these are Bible believing folks. However poorly they might be misrepresented, they're supposed to be Christian folks making biblical arguments. And so the song, the messaging is very explicit. Um, it's it's very much coming down. This isn't. It's not any kind of a debate. It's very much. There's only one. The message is there's only one right way to think about this. And. The song, I, I want to take a look at the lyrics because the song starts out as where Taylor Swift is just complaining about some of the trolling that she gets online. Verse one, she says, you are somebody that I don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron. And I'm just like, blank, it's 7 a.m. Say it in the street, that's a knockout. But if you say it in a tweet, that's a cop out. And I'm just like, hey, are you okay? So here's Taylor Swift saying, look, you're bothering me. I don't know who you are, but it's seven in the morning. You're clearly obsessed with me. She's essentially calling them haters. She's saying that they're hating her irrationally. And what she's doing is she's, she's setting up this scene where there are some people who just love to hate. And that's just what they do. That's just the kind of people that they are. Well, it starts off where it's personal. And um, she moves through the pre-chorus and then into the, the chorus. And the chorus is, I'm just like, oh, 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 oh. You just need to stop. Like, can you not step on my gown? You need to calm down. In other words, I'm very classy. I'm very beautiful. I'm very stylish. Can you just leave me alone and quit bothering me and, and really, honestly, just stop getting so worked up? So it starts out as a personal thing. But then now verse two, the messaging shifts. She says, you are somebody that we don't know. So she's moved from I to we, now she's including her friends in this. Who are, who are her friends? She says, you're coming at my friends like a missile, missile. And why are you, why are you mad when you could be glad? And she spells it G-L-A-A-D. Glad is um, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. It's a, it's an organization designed to promote the, uh, the cause of homosexuality in the culture and to fight against negative portrayals in the media and in and uh, negative policies from the government and things like that. It's an activist lobbying group. Glad. So she's intentionally misspelling glad, like happy and 
she's referring to this organization. In other words, why are you mad when you could join our side? Look at this fun, wonderful, happy organization that we have promoting rights, whereas you're trying to take rights away. That's the implicit message here. And then she says, sunshine on the street at the parade, the pride parade, presumably, but you would rather be in the dark ages making that sign must have taken all night. In other words, you're dumb. You have to strain to put thoughts and words together. Meanwhile, here we are at the parade. We're having a great time. The sun is shining on us. It's almost as if God is shining down on us or the universe is sort of smiling at us because look how bright and sunny it is. We're glad. You're mad. We're in the light. You're in the dark. I mean, now this is almost like a spiritual kind of argument. We are walking in the light. We might talk about that as Christians. Um, whereas you, you haters, you anti gay bigots, you're walking in the dark and you're, you want to take us back to the dark ages. It's sort of this imagery of, you know, back when the Catholic church used to rule, it was the dark ages. That's what we call it. And so, uh, and, and then, um, then she says in the pre-course, she says, you just need to take several seats, then try to restore the peace. In other words, sit down, be quiet, and then sit down again, just stay seated, be peaceful and control your urges that's kind of an ironic phrase, given what she's singing about, to scream about all the people you hate. So in other words, just if you don't like some, if if, it's like that old proverb from, uh, from Bambi, you know, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say anything at all. That's essentially what she's saying. In other words, you're a hater, just be quiet. And, and then she sings about, you need to just stop. Can you not step on his gown, not my gown anymore. Now she's talking about a man wearing a gown. In other words, look, don't be so bigoted to think that a man can't wear a gown. And this brings us back to the, what was it, the Oscars, where there was a gentleman wearing a, a dress. It was sort of a tuxedo dress. And it was it was very, um, he came in on the arm of a man, I guess. And he had his arm, uh, sort of arm in arm with this man. And there he is, he's wearing a dress. And it was very, uh, he was either very bold or very um, controversial, depending on who you asked. But the idea is, look, men can wear gowns. Who are you to who are you to judge? And then she goes back into some personal stuff um, about how you shouldn't judge different girls and, on the internet and, and pit them against each other, celebrities and stuff. Okay, fine. But the idea is this: here's the, the central message that I want to talk about when it comes to Christians is when we we have a song like this where the messaging is very clearly if you are presenting any view other than what Taylor Swift believes to be correct then you just, you're too worked up. You need to calm down. You need to quiet down and you need to just sort of exit the public sphere. We're talking here. We're on parade. You don't have a place in this discussion. Um, I, I think it's a little ironic. Well, we're going to get into some of the ironies here, but you know, here Taylor Swift is making a song that costs, I don't know how many millions of dollars to make. She's enlisted dozens of celebrities to be in the song and, you know, design these elaborate sets, uh, recruited all these actors and she's got directors and produ high production value. Um, so she's clearly working very hard to make her point, but you know, she doesn't think she needs to calm down, uh, even though she's working pretty hard to get her message across. But let's talk about this. Now, the point that I want to make today is not primarily an argument against the pride parade, the pride week, pride month, homosexuality in general, or the LGBTQI plus movement, 
um, or even its, you know, its desire to uh, influence and um, oftentimes even coerce biblically minded Christians, cake makers and wedding uh, service providers and things like that. What I want to do is I want to look at this song. I want to look at the lyrics a little bit and analyze them and really kind of do an internal critique because there are some pretty gaping holes in the logic. And I know it's a, it's a, supposed to be a fun poppy song, right? But there's clearly messaging here. And the messaging is built on this logic that is, well, it's, it's very inconsistent. Uh, here, let me show you what I'm talking about. So what is at the heart of Miss Swift's, Swift's message? The idea is basically freedom. People have the right to live what they want, uh, live the way that they want, do what they want, and you don't have the right to tell them not to do what they want to do, especially when it comes to the way they control their bodies, the relationships they have, um, their sexuality, things like that. No one has the right to tell someone how, who, whom they can you know, be affectionate with and, and what they can do. Okay, so this is a message we've been hearing for several years, several decades now. I remember learning about this in my, my public schools, um, you know, teachers growing up. Um, there's nothing wrong with being gay. There's nothing wrong. This is, this is the messaging. I'm not saying this. This is, this is the messaging. Um, and, and so it's a very safe message culturally for Taylor Swift to get across. And more and more, it's so culturally acceptable that, it's, it's, it's very, it, the culture is turning very one-sided. And so it, it really is to the point where a lot of times we as Christians, we don't want to respond because we don't want to be labeled. Like we know we're not, we don't hate people uh, because of their sexuality. I, the Bible forbids us from hating our neighbor or even hating our enemy. We're actually supposed to pray for our enemy and, and those who persecute us. And we're supposed to love our enemies. Um, now that being said, of course, we, are, we do hate sin. We must hate sin, starting with our own sin. And I mean, I, speaking for myself, I've got plenty of sin to hate. I've got plenty of big old planks sticking out of my eye that I've got to remove before I try to remove the speck out of my fellow believer's eye. But that being said, we are supposed to judge with sober judgment, God's word tells us. And so it becomes this challenge for us as believers to be able to judge with sober judgment and yet at the same time, to do so in a way where we don't unnecessarily rile people up. And, um, you know, oftentimes, even if we're the calm ones and the other, and our discussion partner is getting worked up, you know, they're getting worked up because they believe that we are unnecessarily taking uh, sort of bigoted and prejudicial stands. And so you hear a song like this, you hear it playing on the radio and you begin to wonder, how should I respond? Well, let's, let's look at, the fact that Taylor Swift is promoting this value of freedom um, and is sort of bounded all up with sexual freedom, sexual libertinism is, uh, is something that we need to untie a little bit because, and, and, and sort of uh, unravel, untangle. Because the question that we need to be asking and the question that I would ask Taylor Swift if she were here is on what basis do you make these judgments? Because she is making moral judgments. She's saying, I mean, literally, she's giving Christians and conservatives and just 
you know, I mean, and, and yes, I understand that there are definitely people who go about talking about, you know, these issues in very unhealthy and, and in unbiblical ways. And I'm sure she would lump them in with, with, you know, this group as well. I've got no desire to defend anything that's unbiblical. You know, I'm only interested in defending what the Bible actually says, but, but I would be lumped in with this group that she's talking about. I would be one of these people who's saying, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. In fact, actually so would Jesus, because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, have you not heard that at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female? And what God has brought, brought together, let not man separate. So Jesus would be right there as well, saying God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. He might not paint it on a sign, or he might. He did clear the temple. But um, so you've got Jesus and me on this on sort of on the other side from, from Taylor Swift. And what I would like to ask her is what's the basis for your belief in the value of freedom? And what's your basis for telling me not to oppose homosexuality? What is, what is your basis for that? And what's your basis specifically without God? Because I know that there are those and there are many who try to make the argument that the Bible supports homosexuality or same-sex marriage or, um, you know, various forms of um, couplings, whether they be romantic or sexual, other than one man, one woman in the covenant, sacred covenant of marriage. But the but biblical te teaching is, it is very clear. I mean, you have to do some pretty serious biblical revision to try to change that. And so, once you've separated yourself from scripture, on what basis do you value freedom? Now, the, the fact of the matter is, without God, you don't actually have a basis for freedom, nor do you have a basis for moral imperatives. You don't have the, the base, there is no objective basis, no universal unchanging standard that says human beings have intrinsic dignity and ought to be treated with respect. They ought to be able to make their own choices. Without God, I'm saying. I'm not saying with God, that's not the case. I'm saying without God, there is no basis. There is no universal basis. There's no law. There, there couldn't possibly be a law without a lawgiver. And there couldn't be a universal law and an unchanging law and a timeless law and, and a, a knowable law without a God who has those characteristics and who has spoken and who has given us such a law. See, without God, man is ultimately insignificant in terms of having any intrinsic ultimate value. And so what it really boils down to is it's my tribe against your tribe. It's my movement against your movement. It's my ethos against yours. It's my morality against yours. And, and really, there's no way to differentiate between the two. And if I say, Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. And she says, based on what standard, I could say, well, it's my standard, just me. And I would say, Taylor, what's your standard? And she'd say, well, it's just, it's just me. I, I think you need to calm down. And, and I've got these values like freedom and dignity. And, and, and that's just how I feel. See, ultimately, we're at an impasse. We're at a, we're at a stalemate. Because what makes her opinion any more valuable than mine or anybody else's? Unless she can get culture on her side, she can get the 51% of the society on her side, then might makes right, and she can just silence me or silence anybody else, and and you know ban me from social media or or you know what have you. But that's not an objective moral basis for anything. That's just that's mob rule. 
you know, that's not, that's just whoever can control things wins, but that's not, that's not a, that's not what she's getting at. She's saying you need to calm down. She's saying that there's something necessary that, uh, that needs to happen. This is, this is something that's rooted in an objective morality. You need to just leave these people alone. It, you, you must do that. It's the right thing to do. You want to be on the right side of history. Well, Without God, there is no there is no right side of history. History has no meaning. There is no ob objectivity to that. But what about from a biblical viewpoint? See, the Bible says that people do have dignity. Uh, Genesis one twenty seven, God says that He made man and woman, male and female, both equally in God's image, and gave us dominion over the world. Um, so we have dignity. We are we are like God, male and female, and um, and as such, we have worth and we have value. Psalm one thirty nine talks about that, where we have worth and value, and God is, has knit us together even in our mother's wombs. Psalm chapter fifty one talks about how we have moral status even in our mother's womb, even from conception, and so, and uh, even the very idea that we don't want the government telling us what to do is uh, is a, a um, you know limited government is a biblical idea as well found in Romans 13 where we find just a couple of legitimate functions for government and that's another episode that I'll get into at some point God willing but you know so to the extent that Taylor Swift's song is sort of a screed against President Trump or Vice President Pence who are sort of seen as bigots or and, and whatever um, you know we don't want the government we don't want you government officials telling us what we can and can't do Okay, these are all biblical values, right? Like, uh, freedom is biblical. Genesis, Galatians 5.1 says that for freedom you have been set free, talking to believers. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And yet, that freedom comes with a responsibility. And so we see in Galatians chapter 5.13... For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And the um, and and then in uh, John eight thirty two we see that we, you you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so this idea of freedom is a biblical one. The idea of human dignity is a biblical one. God says that we have dignity. God has bestowed and granted dignity upon us, which is pretty amazing because the same Bible that says we have dignity also says that we were created out of dust, you know? And so dust in and of itself has no dignity, but God has bestowed moral value and dignity on us. And when the king gives you dignity, you have dignity. You have moral status. But now see, here's the problem. Without God, we don't have moral dignity and we have no basis for giving moral commands. Without God, we can say, sure, yeah, you need to calm down, but there's no basis for that. And so calming down is just as morally acceptable as not calming down. Rioting in the streets is just as morally acceptable as parading in the streets. There is no, without God, there is no, everything is just morally valueless. With God, however, not only do we have value, not only do we have dignity, but we also have moral obligations. 
We also have an obligation to seek the truth, the truth that is ultimately found in Jesus Christ, where in John 14, 6, Jesus calls himself the truth. And the same Bible that bestows human dignity upon us, or I should say that records God bestowing human dignity upon us, also contains in both the Old Testament and the New Testament prohibitions and injunctions against the very behavior that Taylor Swift wants to promote and validate in her song, um, You Need to Calm Down. Leviticus 18.22, for example, condemns homosexuality. And I know that that's the Old Testament, um, but it's it's revalidated in the New Testament. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and I'm just going to look that up real quick. What we have is that we have a list of sins where the, the Apostle Paul lists um, a, a list of sins. And in the NIV, it says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. And actually in the original Greek, there's active and passive members in, in a homosexual relationship there, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so now, so what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's listing uh, sins, some of which are explicit actions, others of which are tendencies, you know, um, others of which are attitudes of the heart, you know, like greed. Greediness is an attitude of the heart. Drunkenness is, depending on who you ask, it's it's an, it's a um, disease, but it's also an activity. Um, homosexuality is an orientation, but it's also an activity. Slanderers and swindlers, that's an activity. You could say that it's also rooted in the heart. Scripture would make that point. But here's the point is that the Apostle Paul brings all these activities together and, and warns us, warns the Corinthians, and through them warns us, that such people who continue in these things will not see the kingdom of God, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a major deal because the kingdom of God is communion with God. It's, it's um, joy and peace and eternal life and a right relationship with our Creator. And what Paul is saying is that you will not inherit those beautiful, joyful things, if you cling to these things. But Paul, in the very next breath, right after he warns us, he tells us, and such were some of you. He doesn't even wait. He doesn't even, he doesn't even let it sink in before he says, he's talking to the Corinthian Christians, the church of the ancient city of Corinth, and he's telling them, you used to be this way. So before they can even say, Paul, you need to calm down, Paul says, no, listen to me. You are no longer defined by your old passions. You're no longer defined by these old activities that would have kept you out of God's kingdom. Instead, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been brought into God's family, you've been forgiven, you've been justified. If you go to Romans chapter 8, we see that you've been justified, you've been glorified, and um, and God by his sovereign choice, has chosen to take people who have who were previously dominated by all those sins 
and to pluck them out of that lifestyle, to wash them and give them freedom in Christ and to set them free and to make sure that they will inherit the kingdom of God. Not still clothed in their own lifestyle and their own autonomy and their own pride, but rather in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so the Christian message here is not clean yourself up, you dirty sinners. If we could clean ourselves up, Jesus would never have had to come to die. Jesus would not have had to die if there was something that we could do to possibly earn our way to God. Because God would, all he'd have to say would just be, you clean yourself up. And so what Paul does here is he he lumps all of us into, he catches us all in a great big net and says, look, whatever your sin is, and he's not afraid to list sin. This is not the only list of sins that he, he gives. Some, some have homosexuality in it. Others don't. But what he says is, you all are alike not going to inherit the kingdom of God unless Jesus Christ sets you free. And praise God that in Christ we are set free. Listen, I can look at that list and I can see my own sins there. Very clearly, I'm so far from being perfect, it's ridiculous. And so the last thing I want anyone to hear is me sitting up on any kind of pedestal and looking down on anybody. If anything, I am uh, the chief of sinners. You know, my dad once told me the Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners, but he never met you. You know, and, and that's coming from my dad. So that tells you something. But um, the point is that we are all alike under sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as followers of Christ, we are not here to condemn anybody. Far from it. We can't do that. We don't know who's going to be saved and trust in Christ. We can't pronounce any kind of final judgment on anybody. But what we can do is we can't point to Scripture where God has revealed himself and his will to us. And we can say, here's what God approves of. Here's what he doesn't. And because God is a good God and a loving God, his plan is best. And we can plead with people and we can say, look, we long for you to know the freedom and the joy and the hope that we've discovered in Christ. Not because we're so smart and we figured it out, but because God made himself known to us through Jesus Christ. Someone shared the good news with us as well. Someone confronted me in my own sin and shared the good news with me. Someone confronted every follower of Christ out there. If you've been brought into God's family, someone had to share the, the gospel with you. And part of the gospel is the, the gospel is good news, but the gospel is bad news. First, the bad news is that the wages of sin is death. The good news is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, in Christ, we have all those things that the human heart longs for. All the things you're never going to find in wrapping a rainbow flag around yourself and parading in the street. Value, identity, significance, freedom. Freedom to be able to live the way you were intended to live. Look, I, I get it. The ethos behind this is I, I feel this way and I don't know how to overcome it and I need to be able to express this because I think I'll have freedom in that. Jesus comes along and says, listen, the way that you feel is strong, but it's 
ultimately not going to bring you satisfaction. It's ultimately not going to bring you peace. It's not going to bring you the kind of joy that I can. And if you continue to pursue your own passions on your own and apart from me, you will be lost. But I came to give you life and give it abundantly. If the Son has set you free, the Bible says, you are free indeed. And you know, in Isaiah chapter 61, this is one of the first sermons that Jesus actually preached. He preached from Isaiah 61, but here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus preached that in the synagogue. And the reason why is because that verse is that prophecy that was made hundreds of years before Jesus came is fulfilled and satisfied in Jesus Christ. If you want real freedom, if you're a follower of Christ and you've got friends in your life who are homosexual or um, dealing with gender confusion or are uh, involved in fornication, premarital sex, or involved in adultery, or or listen, or any of these other sins. Look, if uh, you know sexually immoral, or they're worshiping idols in their hearts, or they're stealing, or they're greedy, or they're drunkards, or they're slanderers, or swindlers. Listen, the message that you can bring to them is one of incredible love and incredible warning, because Scripture tells us in Titus 2.15 to exhort and rebuke with all authority. And sometimes the greatest act of love that you can do for another person is to warn them about something dangerous, about about self-destructive behavior. I still remember when my son, when we first found out that he had heart failure, this is after we'd been dealing with three and a half years of leukemia treatments. I remember the doctors and the nurses, it was like they had this common refrain. Every time that they would talk about this new treatment they're going to give him, they kept on saying, you know, your son's heart is very sick. His heart is very sick. And I remember just getting so sick of hearing that phrase, his heart is very sick. His heart is very sick. It's like, I know my son's heart is very sick. But you know something? They had to keep telling me that because I was in denial. I I didn't want to believe that my son's heart was so sick. And when it comes to sin, because we hold our sin so precious to us, because it's such a, a part of our identity, we need to be told oftentimes over and over that our heart is very sick. And the Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, our maker can understand it. The Bible says that all things were made through Christ. And so he knows the human heart and he became a human being. He can relate to us. But not only did he relate to us, but he also died for us. He took the wages of sin that we deserve, and he conquered death. And now if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so it's my prayer and my hope, even right now, even as I'm recording this, that someone will listen to this. And man, if you've made it 47 minutes into this thing, props to you. But I hope that someone will listen to this and will say, wow, you know something? I I didn't think I was going to like this. I didn't think I was going to really appreciate what this person had to say. I thought maybe it was going to be very intolerant, maybe very bigoted. But now that I've heard what the Bible has to say, I can see that real freedom only comes through Jesus Christ. Well, my friend, if that's you, 
I hope and pray that you will lay down your burdens at the foot of the cross, at Jesus' feet, and you'll let him embrace you and wash you, cleanse your heart, take your sin upon himself, and pay the penalty for you. And what you're going to find out when you do that is he already paid the penalty for you. He did it 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. And at that moment, he paid the sacrifice that would atone for all your sin. So that's all I've got for you tonight. I hope it was helpful. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I hope that I've given you some resources to think through what we do when we see cultural messaging like pride flags and pride parades and pride songs and, and things like that and pride messaging. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I hope that you've seen that the Christian position is not, we're good, you're bad. Quite the contrary. It's Christ is good, we're all bad, we need him. So that's all I've got for you guys. Until next time. Oh, well, wait. If you want to connect with us, go to truthinconversation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Sedicase. You can go to our Facebook page at The Think Institute. Just this past week, I did a worldview and apologetics training at a church in the South Loop of Chicago. A good friend of mine is the pastor there, and he had me over to do a training. I've posted those resources on our website. So if you go to the website and you go to get equipped and then you go to teaching resources. If you go to think, the document is called think the biblical worldview. And then there's another one, think apologetics. You can go there free of charge. You can get 53 pages of worldview and apologetic goodness. I really, really hope that's helpful. At some point I'm going to publish that. We're going to sell that through Amazon, but uh, you can get a free color version of that right now, a uh, digital version of PDF but I really hope that that's helpful to folks because that's going to lay the groundwork for a lot of the work we're going to do in the future as we're doing these trainings and, and teachings and things like that. So again, go to truthandconversation.com. And until next time, I hope it made you think.